Welcome to another episode of Just Saying With. In this episode, we're just saying with an award-nominated stand-up comedian based in Singapore, but you know what? Apparently not for long. Uh, he's headlined over 25 dif- uh, in over 25 different countries, 5.5 million views online. And, well, you know, he's been in so, so, so many countries. The very, very funny and talented Sam C. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hey, Zen. Thank you so much for having me. I've also realized that my copy is outdated because saying <laughs> 5 million views as a brag is pointless in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I well, it totally depends. I've got probably five people listening to this podcast, so I think that's great. <laughs> Two of them oh, are my mum. Uh, she's made up, to, you know. It's five she, she more, than, of it's five more than people might come to my shows anyway. I understand what it's like. But <laughs> yeah, but nowadays it's like like 5.5 million. It's like, that's a brag for if each video gets 5.5, then it's amazing. 5.5 combined is just like a kind of like a like kid going, I made a rock. Like, all right, good for you, kid. <laughs> I did a thing. <laughs> Um, Sam, you know, comedy in Singapore, it's always been uh, one of the things that... So, I love stand-up comedy. I'm a big fan of the TV. I I always say that I've been raised by TV. And my Mm. go-tos were always, um, well, the comedy shows and even those darker comedies. um, Things that were smart and witty. Now... We all know of the heavy hitters. Probably, I always say that you know the seventies and the eighties, probably even the nineties. There was quite a big scene in terms of the, um, not just in terms of local stand-up, but in terms of local music. And then I feel it took a big dip in the two thousands. Um, mm-hmm. What's the scene like now? How did you basically kickstart your comedic career? So I started in. Uh 2012 so that was like about two years after sort of like the the main singapore comedy scene started here like comedy has been around in singapore since the 70s and 80s with like uh with like crosstalk with the chinese and just uh with the tanglin comedy club and boom boom room and all this on lights and not time coming up sorry laughs comedy club at the tanglin mall so that was all around and then kind of in the 90s there, there were a lot of traveling comedians like like big names like Patrio Onis has played Singapore. Ed Byrne has played Singapore back in the day. There's, there was like a Just for Laughs in Singapore. And then kind of when we entered the 2000s, everything just went a bit like quiet artistically. I, uh, smarter people than me with better research of the Singapore arts industry can probably tell you why. But I think in the 2000s, we were going through that change in the arts. Like, you know... For better or for worse, the art scene in Singapore is a little bit unevolved at times. Not all of it, but there's some parts, especially in humour. In general, humour is very unevolved. It's very much still very, okay, it's ABC walk into a bar or ABC are in a place and ABC are always Chinese, Malay and Indian. There's still very much a lack of development in terms of understanding sarcasm and irony and alternative and sort of wilder stuff there is a lack of want to evolve and that was kind of where i started in 2012 where as an openly gay performer i would go on stage and go hey i'm gay and all of, i would literally see people fold their arms and go die in a fire and i'm like within a few years and i'm dead so 
it was an interesting time to start out. And I've been very lucky that since then, the scene has definitely evolved in a better way. Uh, could the comedy scene in terms of the audience and performance be better? Yeah, we could, we could always be better, but that's just the agent in us to want to improve. I, I think we, uh, we have come a very long way and I'm very happy to see where it is now as a scene where multiple people can put on our specials ranging in sizes from a 100-seater to a 2,000-seater. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, the truth is I um, I kind of feel the same way as well. Uh, and yeah, like I said, I think the 2000s was a very weird um, decade of sorts. Um, everything took a... I felt that in a funny way, I thought everything took a step backwards in the year 2000, even with fashion and music and everything. It felt like we just went back in time. Yeah, uh, I, I think yeah. it was just like a mix of like... Yeah, most of the decades had their own flavor of things. And then in the 2000s is when things became much more globalized and much more commercialized. So it was less of let's create. It was because it, it, back, I think, in the 70s to 90s, especially with a lot of pop, was we found something that makes it, that works. Let's sell as much of it as we can. And then in the 2000s was the, like the churning of the idol, like all the idol shows and everything. And it was no longer let's discover a talent. Now it's let's create a talent and let's sell a talent. So there was a lack of, oh, let's see what this person have has and let's build it into something. Now it is, let us take this and mold them into our own form. So the 2000s was the start of just the generic, generic yeah. art, generic music, generic fashion. And like you said earlier, um, Singapore's always had comedy. In fact, we've actually had a very rich tradition of comedy. Um, but it, mm. it was our own brand. I would say that, you know, may, probably even maybe say... Uh, I'd be remiss to say that if uh, Singapore and Malaysia, probably we had a similar brand of comedy. It was a very kampong style. Um, of course, we have our Singlish. Um, how would you describe who, who were your influences when you started, um, even now or when you started off? And how would you describe your brand of comedy? I think when I started, like, when I started out, it was definitely YouTube. Like, I started watching stand-up through YouTube because there's no way younger people can go to the clubs and bars. So, yeah. uh, due to the advent of the internet, we could see. And, of course, the first one you'd see is Kumar because you're based in Singapore. And then from there, because, hey, it's a person uh, in drag or cross-dressing performing, I got to see people like Eddie Izzard. And then I got introduced to the entire United Kingdom scene and then slowly the United States scene and then the Australia scene of comedy. And that is what really molded my sense of humour. Like, although I did enjoy a lot of the local TV stuff, like your classic Under One Roos and Pachu Kang, I realized that, oh, the, these things on the West are funnier because we can play to more people in the West. And I think that's always been my comedy style, which has been very much more international, much more aware of recent events and pop culture and the world. That we're not just, it's not just all of us in Singapore going one, one nation, one Singapore. It is, yeah, you are six million people. There are six billion other people outside of here and sometimes we get a little bit too insular i feel yeah. and that's who i am i've always been someone that's like gone out that's why i can say i've headlined in 25 different countries is it because uh, i was good enough to headline in 25 different countries or because i couldn't get work in singapore you tell me you know it might be a balance it might be a balance of both things um but what i really uh, admire is the drive. So 
which was that first gig overseas and how did that play out for you? So the first official gig, uh, 2014, I was invited to play in Kuala Lumpur and it was the, uh, uh, the name of the club was the Crack House Comedy Club, which is uh, no longer standing. You, uh, anyone listening to this can go have a quick Google and see the amount of nonsense that went on in the closure of that club, uh, rest in peace. But uh, I was thrown up. It was a new fledgling club. There hadn't really been a full-time comedy club apart from... Uh, at standing at the point apart from the takeout comedy club in Hong Kong. And now it was one in, in a neighboring region. And it was fun. I, and it was exciting to sort of go there and realize, oh, okay, some stuff I wrote in Singapore doesn't work here. I've got to adapt and got the change and realizing the need to make uh, art approachable. Still make it your own, but still approachable to everyone and anyone. And that was such a great lesson. And it was fun to sort of like see the start of the, I don't say the start of the major comedy scene, but the burgeoning of a much more underground, a much more gritty, a much more uh, a scene that birthed three Netflix specials, soon to be four. And it's, nice, it's great that you brought that up uh, about Netflix special because it's tying in quite um, immediately into my next question, which is, we, we've talked about comedy clubs. In today's world, do you think that they're still very, I'm not going to use the word relevant, but as necessary as they used to be to get your work out there? I mean, with the rise of social media and TikTok, and like you mentioned, um, well, of course, the Netflix specials, they come at a later time. Um, do you think that artists now um, have got greater avenues? Or is it so crowded that everything gets drowned out in the noise. That's kind of the problem, as I have a bunch of people who have been blessed and cursed by the algorithm. I am myself a case. I started this year with a huge boost by the algorithm gods and uh, by middle of this year have been cursed by them. And it's comic clubs are still very much necessary because that's where we actually get to prove ourselves to the people, to the consumers, because People can like you and support your stuff online, but at the end of the day, when you're no longer just, oh, it's just a minute, I can swipe if I like it, don't like it, it's just two minutes. Now, it is a case of, I need to keep you entertained for 20 minutes to an hour. And if I can do that, you're going to keep coming back to see me again and again, year after year, and I can keep uh, making a living of this year after year. So and clubs are so important. And... Also, clubs have changed. I, I think it's very hard for us to comment about comedy clubs in Asia where they constantly keep getting closed by various political beings, uh, not just in Malaysia, but all across the region. Uh, the sheer number of comedy clubs I've seen open and close. If I had a dollar, I wouldn't need to do this for goddamn living anymore. It is, is it? Yeah, but when you look at the West, uh, it has evolved. Like, it, the comedy club is still very much a part of a community. It's part of something that people go to on a nightly basis it's a night out you go to a club you get a few drinks get some food you have a good time you go out to the bar after you go home it's part of the culture and unfortunately otherwise entertainment or a night out is not quite part of southeast asian culture yet it's still very much uh, we're going to eat and go home or we're going to go talk we're going to go spend time with the family and go home there isn't that sense of like individuality and excitement right and you know um culture that I, I think that's a very important point to note that 
yeah, we, we do have different sensibilities or traditionally we the people in this region um, behave a certain way, which is now going to bring me to, well, um, your show. Mm. Literally called Government Approved Sex. Yeah. We've just talked about culture and how things are closed. And yeah. then you've got this show that's up that actually says Government Approved Sex. Yeah, and which we've just, uh, at time of recording, we just sold out an entire night in Malaysia of all places. Exactly. Which goes to show you, people want to hear this. And, and the funniest thing about it is that the name, the, main, the idea of the name was supposed to invoke curiosity. It wasn't meant to invoke like crudeness because if you sit down for the hour show, it's not crude at all. There's no dirty imagery. I don't uh, describe any sexual detail. It's a sex education hour. It's actually an hour where like only because we are talking about sexual things, I have to rate it higher. But uh, I have had people who parents who have been willing to bring like younger, younger kids at 14 and 12. And the kids actually appreciate it because this is a frank discussion about sex and love and relationship. It's not just about, hey, putting the thing in the hole, but it's also about how do you feel about it? How do you talk to people? How do you approach dating? And I think that's something that doesn't really happen in modern sexual education. Not, uh, we're not even going to talk about Singapore, where our sexual education was uh, created and founded by a hate group in America. Okay. And that's true. You can look it up, Focus on the Family. That's not controversial. It has been, the government has declared that it has been written by Focus on the Family. They are no longer consulting on that, but uh, sex education has not changed from the original uh, syllabus. Uh, but most sex education around the world is not very helpful. Uh, most of the focus isn't about a discussion. It is about... Uh, about abstinence, which any proper sex educator and any sexologist will tell you is the worst form of sex education because abstinence does not give the students enough information. It's telling them to be ignorant about it where you have cases where I think 10 years ago on the new paper, uh, I hope it's not too crude to say, uh, there was a interview by uh, women who said that they thought the way to not get pregnant is to after sex, jump up and down. To, right. <laughs> uh, re to re reverse the polarity, as it were. As, yeah. as long as there's a scientific backing to that argument, sure, yeah, reduce, yeah, I, reverse I the polarity. I don't think any of Newton's laws of uh, physics or gravity would uh, really uh, go with that. But yeah, you see what I mean? Of it's, like, it's the abridged version. It's the abridged yeah. version. Yeah. And, and the only reason I wrote the show and called it Government Approved Sex was that the whole premise is that uh, during the, like, just before the pandemic started, I was engaged by the National Library Board to, uh, to conduct panels and educational panels about these things. It, so successful, we've been running it almost every single year. So, yeah, so not just government approved sex, but constant, consistently approved. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, um, the fact that you called it, or it's called government approved sex, was there any government that was involved? And now you've just mentioned the National Library, and I assume that's the National Library of Singapore? Yes, National Library of Singapore. Right. Uh, so I was engaged by National Library of Singapore to do this. The show that we are doing, uh, that we are performing on the 17th of November, has also been approved by uh, the IMDA. So all of the censor boards have looked at the material and have agreed that, yeah, this, this is absolutely okay for public consumption. It's uh, Of course, it's R18 because we're talking about mm -hmm. uh, scenes of a sexual nature, but it is not a thing where it's, it's censored of any sort. No, this is a, a completely fantastic hour that uh, I'm very proud to put forth. And 
I don't even put up any pictures of dinguses or dingoes or dangos. So apologies if that's what anyone thought they were going to come for. Just a guy in a trench coat going, this, this isn't the show I thought it was going to be. I want my money back. I got this, I got this Vaseline for nothing. Ah! <laughs> it would be funny to see if someone thought it was really something else. Yeah, and then they got you. Yeah, halfway, halfway through, just just a bunch of shifty perverts leaving the venue. Just like, no, I'm just, I'm just gonna go home. You know, you made a very good point about sex education and uh, well, the creation of the content. Um, well, I'm not gonna speak for the region uh, when it comes to that. Well, I can speak for the region in terms of well, say the culture. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm the dad to a 13 year old, and. Mm-hmm. My friends have asked me, you know, have you had the talk with him? And I'm like, look, n- my parents never had the talk with me. Did your parents ever have the talk with you? Yeah. Oh, it was a terrible talk. <laughs> it was, uh, my dad sat me down, pulled out a book, and then when this is what the vagina looks like. Oh this my is what- God. And it was so scientific that like, I can't absorb anything. I'm like 14 at the time. I've, I barely know how to spell masturbation, much less commit the act. And... And when I went to school, I went to an all-boy Christian school. So that was even worse. It was less of, oh, here are the various sexual organs and what they do. It was more of, these are the various STDs and here is the worst picture you can find. And they're bleeding and limbs are falling off. And it's like, yeah, that's what happens when you don't get checked. The education isn't that this is bad. Is that you may get it, get tested regularly, wear condoms. There, there wasn't even a discussion of wearing condoms. They didn't even teach us about condoms. It was just, don't do it. And I'm like, no, we need to know about condoms. Especially when I get it cheaper because they were expensive. They, as a kid, they are expensive. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, government-approved sex, I think this is... Um, I, I think it's going to be very interesting. Uh, definitely a show that I would want to catch. What um, You said that it's already sold out in Singapore. Where else are you playing? No, sorry, sold you said Malaysia. Sold out in Malaysia, yeah. sorry. No, yes. tickets, tickets are still available, but they are going fast for Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I've made a effort because I like to cycle to circle back on <laughs> like we're in a meeting of some sort uh, to circle back on the arts in Singapore. I think the biggest issue I've seen in the arts post pandemic is that it is highly unaffordable. As someone that covers uh, culture, you will notice that tickets for shows are getting more and more expensive. We're not let's not even look at like the big players of like a live nation show with uh with that just even simple theater shows simple like concerts like local concerts are like they're charging 120 to 160 per ticket for like for front rows and this is how an art scene dies out is when we price out our audiences especially in a cost of living crisis we can't we can't in my opinion during the pandemic go hey please support us in our time of need and then now when it's over, we go, well, thanks for giving us all these donations. We're now going to increase the prices of all our tickets. So like for me, my cheapest ticket is $25. Or as uh, my accountant has told me, the worst financial decision I've made so far. So, But I don't mind. I just rather that people can come and watch and enjoy the arts rather than I sit on a pile of coins and go, ha ha creativity. Mm-mm. I really do appreciate that. I think... Um... Uh, once again, you're absolutely right. Um, things have changed during and after the pandemic. Even us, um, in our industry, uh, the media side of things, the publishing side of things, 
Um, it's like a big hit and then things changed uh, overnight as well. Um, accessibility, I think accessibility to the arts is very important. We could talk about the entire thing about the whole economics of arts oh, and that yeah. would take us a, 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 another episode, another series. Probably oh, we, could, we could just run a podcast, an entire podcast, a season long just based on that one topic. I, I mean, my, my armchair general solution is just Make make it easy for art school to get uh to get sort of a charitable status, and make it easy for people to actually choose to send their taxes to the arts. Yeah, because let's be frank, there's there's a lot of people like I, I'm get I'm can guarantee you most people who are working class middle class aren't exactly going to be doing that, but there gotta be a lot of rich people and a lot of corporations that need to get tax write offs. Send them to the arts. Send them to the arts. I think it begins with the parents. And, I, and you know, yeah. I always find it extremely ironic when you have got a mom and dad telling their kid, you need to go and learn violin, you need to learn the piano, you need to learn the guitar, be cultured. And the moment the child says, I want to be a pianist, they go, no, you're an accountant. <laughs> yeah, you're like, please like the arts, but don't do the arts. Appreciate exactly. it yeah. from a distance. And also, but that's also the thing is like, if let's say a kid really wants to, let's say become a pianist and the parents go, hey, let's let's take me, your mom and you to a piano concert in the Esplanade, the price tag alone. My, and well, like, and also these are concerts, so there's not, there's not like a nosebleed tier system. It's like, they're just like, well, you can hear it from the back, you can hear it from the front. It's like, yeah, there's, yeah, it's, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. Like, reduce the prices i know there's cost i'm i come from the world of stand-up where it's very affordable for us and i know i'm speaking from the idiot's point of view of my cost is just i stand on stage with mike but there has to be a better way financially or or at least places or like maybe play a smaller theater that doesn't cost you the money i know how much theaters cost you could roll a baby grand somewhere in, in somewhere else come on it's just about the art of it it's not about the grandioseness of it all well, speaking of traveling and speaking of, um, well, different cultures, what are your plans? I hear you're moving out of Singapore, or is that a permanent yeah. thing? Is that a... I'm planning to uh, make my base of operations to the United Kingdom. Uh, but uh, as with the previous uh, 10 years of my career, I'm always very much a traveler. Like I will like to go, come and go to as many places and see as much of the world and perform to as much of the world and hopefully be able to entertain said blue dot but uh making my base in london i think is more is essential for me just to sort of help me build my career because as wonderful as the singapore scene is and has grown as much as great as the asia scene has been and has grown uh i think being in a place where there are more sort of rewarding opportunities both financially and career-wise uh, would do me better after 10 years. I think there's that old adage of if you're an artist, you need to sort of update yourself every five years. And my my first update of, of that was being in a pandemic. So now it's my second five-year update. It is to uh, go uh, change the scene, go, go try somewhere else and try to uh, break into the West as many other Asians from Singapore have tried. Let's see yeah. if we'll get it. Also, um, I think, uh, you know, uh, Traveling, it's, it's always great. And um, for people in the arts, it's, it's, it's always a nice thing to see how they uh, expand their circle and their network. And we really hope to see you back in Singapore and in this region again. 
Uh, that being said, government-approved sex is uh, already sold out in Malaysia. And um, the Singapore show, tickets for the Singapore shows are still available. Still available, but going fast. Going you fast. Can, yeah. I mean, it's not hard to find it. Just Google government-approved sex. Okay. And if you don't get put into jail for that, you can find the show there. Or you can find it at any of my social medias. I'm at Mr. Sam C. That's M-R-S-A-M-S-E-E. Just eight letters. Mr. Sam C on all of the socials uh, is a top thing of the profile link. We've got so much things. I've like, we have a big show. It's not just like, hey, I've got like a, me and a mic. No, we've got projections. We've got animations. We've got free giveaways. We've got uh, the term I will use, wellness toys to be worn. <laughs> There's a free ticket giveaway. If you can count how many condoms I put into a box. There's an after party with a drag king, queen, and the top DJ in Singapore, DJ Spotify playlist. Ah, my favorite it's, DJ. Yes, and okay, and maybe if he's busy, DJ uh, Song Radio may come on instead. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Sam. And, you know, as he mentioned, tickets are insanely affordable, very, mm-hmm. very, very, very well-priced um, mm-hmm. and very accessible for everyone. Mm-hmm. Sam, thank you very much uh, for joining us today on this episode of Just Saying With. All the best for government-approved sex and not just that, um, for your new venture, the new stage in your career. Um, once again, thank you and have a great day. Thank you so much for having me.